0: We are in Colossians chapter 1, moving slowly through it, some great stuff. I've entitled this message, The Preeminence of Christ. What does that mean? That means he has all authority. And so we're only going to be looking at verses 15 through 18 today, but I want to back it up to Paul's prayer for uh, these Colossians. Remember, Paul did not... Uh, Start this church. It was started by Epaphras. He's never been there. He's never met these people. But when Paul was in Ephesus, about 80, 100 miles away, he was there for three years. And for two years, he was teaching in the hall of Tyrannus the Word of God every single day for some, some scholars say four to six hours a day. And people from all over Asia were coming to hear him speak. And Epaphras was one of those guys and got a solid foundation in the Word came to Paul while he was in prison in Rome and said, listen, we're up against some problems. We've got these Gnostics. We've got these legalists. We've got these Judaizers. We've got uh, mystic Eastern philosophies creeping into the church, and I want you to tell me what I need to do to help fix this thing, and so Paul's responding to that to the Colossians. He starts out the letter showing his authority. as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He's appointed that by God, and And he shares his love for them and and, and greets them with that traditional grace and peace greeting that he does. And and then he he talks about the things that he wants for them and and how blessed he is by their pastor, Epaphras. But last week when we looked at verses 9 through 14, and the reason I want to read it again, is that this is Paul's prayer for them. And this is an amazing prayer. And it's short. And, and I, I'm saying this because if you guys pray for me at all, would you memorize 9 through 14 and pray that for me? So let's, let's start at 9. We're only going to look at 15 through 18 today in our study, but let's back it up to verse 9 and read this awesome prayer. Check this out. Paul says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard, basically, of their conversion, their love for God, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of his Son, of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What an amazing prayer. Now, these are the scriptures we're going to deal with today. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, That are on earth, that are visible and invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, we just ask right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would bless this time and speak to us and stir up our hearts to be excited to serve you. You are everything. And apart from you, we have nothing. And apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, I pray that you get a hold of our hearts today and strengthen us in such a way that we love you so much we have to do something for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, the name above all names. And all God's people said, amen. What an amazing portion of Scripture. See, Paul dealing with these Gnostics and these legalists, these Judaizers, this mystical Eastern philosophy, creeping in the church, there's always a danger of wolves coming in and corrupting what's going on in the church, and that's what he was dealing with. And the thing that he does here is he he speaks truth And he speaks truth in such a way that he doesn't even name these guys. He just knows as soon as he speaks truth, they will quickly identify that what these other guys are saying is false, is lies. And he lays it out here that that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. He is the, the one of all authority. He is the creator of all things. He is God. He is the... The image of the invisible God, he created all things and all things were created by him and for him. He was before all things and he just silences all the critics who would say, you know, Jesus was a created being. No, he wasn't. He's the preexistent one. That Jesus isn't really God. Yes, he is. And they were trying to put to rest these things to corrupt what was being taught in the church in Colossians. And so Paul writes this letter to say, listen, Jesus is not only God. He is the creator of all things. And he is the preeminent one. He's the one that has all authority in this whole vast uniform universe and kingdom. He is, he is the one that created the things that were visible and the things that are invisible. There's a lot of stuff out there you can't see and he created. There's a spirit world out there that you cannot see that he created. But one day our eyes will be open. And so the preeminence of Christ is what we're talking about today. All authority. Does he have all authority in your life? That's the real question. Does Jesus Christ have preeminence in your life? You know, it's interesting that um, creation obeys God. You know, remember the storm and the the disciples thought they were dying and he stands up out of the boat because he was napping. And he stands up and he rebukes the sea and the sea goes still. Nature obeys God. It tells us in Romans that all of creation is groaning and travailing, waiting for the coming of the Lord. The mountains are crying out, the trees, the flowers. Isn't it funny how plants grow up like they're worshiping? They're waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ. And, you know, you might say, well, you know, Satan didn't obey God. That's right. But you know what? Here's the thing. Satan has to obey God. Though God gave him free will and he fell, just like he gave us free will and we fall, Satan can't do anything unless God allows it. Did you know that? So even the fallen angels have to obey God. Because if Satan had his way, he'd kill all of us. But he can't do certain things. God puts his foot down. That's it. You know, I think the creation that is probably... The least that obeys God is man. We love God. We're born again. But there's still a part of me wanting to be the leader in my life. There's still a part of me that wants to call the shots. There's still a part of me that says, Lord, I love you, but you you don't understand the situation. I would have done it different. Now, I know you're all looking at me like you don't understand what I'm saying. But we've all been there where we've kind of made the calls and, and, and God says, no, I want to be preeminent in your life. I want to have all authority in your life. I want to be able to, to call the shots in your life. See, even the fallen angels have to obey God. Do you realize that, that Satan can't force you to sin? Did you know that? You, do, you make a choice. You have free will. Why did God give the angels and give us free will? Because he wanted us to love him for who he was. If he forced us to love him and programmed us to love him, we would be like robots and and that would be forced love. And he's not going to force his love on anybody, he's going to allow you to choose. So he gives us free will. That's genuine love. It says that we were created for his good pleasure. That doesn't mean he's egotistical. His good pleasure is to have fellowship with you. That's his good pleasure. Do you want to have fellowship with him? Is he number one in your life or something else? It can't be your spouse. Your spouse can't be number one in your life. Your children can't be number one in your life. Your job can't be number one in your life. Your your hobbies, your sports. Jesus has to be number one. He has to have that all authority, but you need to understand that the enemy can't force you to sin. The enemy can only put bait out in front of you, and he puts some good bait out, doesn't he, for immediate gratification. He knows that, you know, sin is fun. That's why we do it. And so he puts that out there. He dangles the bait, and as soon as you take the bait, he runs to the Lord. He says, hey, did you see what Steve did? Oh, my gosh. You call him one of yours? He he talks us into taking the bait, then he rats us out immediately. Isn't that crazy? But see, God has broken the power of sin in our lives. He paid the price for our sin at the cross, and now he says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live a godly life. You can say, get behind me, Satan. You can say, no, I'm not taking the bait. You can say, greater is the Lord that's in me than you. And you can live for Jesus because why? Because he's worth it. Why, what, you know, people say, why are you always talking about Jesus? Because without him, you got nothing. I'm always talking about Jesus because he's the only way. There aren't a bunch of ways. There's one way. And you shouldn't be surprised there's even just one way. You should be surprised there's a way. <laughs> he's the only one that's going to get you to heaven. Not anybody else. Here's the thing that you got to keep in mind. Jesus is number one all by himself. Hello, because we get people that act like, well, you know, Jesus is number one on the top 10 of gods that are out there. No, 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 no. He's all by himself. Nobody even comes close. All these other things that people are worshiping are false and will send them directly to hell. That's why he did the impossible and came down in the image of the invisible God to die for your sins. Because listen, The Mormons can't save you. The Jehovah Witness can't save you. Buddha can't save you. Krishna can't save you. Allah cannot save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. You say that's an offense. I know the cross is an offense because there's only one way. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. You gotta get that. I'm not trying to be mean because I call out these other groups. These are these other groups are religions. You guys are not a religion. Christianity is not a religion it's a relationship with the true and living God who created the universe Everything else is a religion look at Mormonism Jehovah witness works driven They got the wrong Jesus, not my Jesus. Buddha, Hindus, I mean, they're they're, they're working to get to a a level. It's it's not going to save them. Allah, Islam, they think they think Jesus is a great prophet, but they're not going to be saved because they're they're so distorted on who Jesus is. And just because someone says they know Jesus, is it the Jesus that you know of the Bible? That's why I say read the word. So, when someone talks about another Jesus, that Jesus is a created being who God created and then allowed him to create, that's false doctrine. You're going to have those people roll up at your door. You've got to have the answers, or they will twist you up and spin you around. Jesus is not Michael the Archangel, Jesus is not the brother of Lucifer, Jesus is not a created being, He is God. He is Lord of all. He is King of kings. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And He's the only way to salvation. It says there in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? The Father is unapproachable in these human bodies. He is the image of the invisible God. God, the image is the word icon or impress. God did the unthinkable and brought himself and impressed himself into our world. You ever seen those, uh, those frame things that have like all those metal rods and you push your face into it and then you pull back and your face, you, right? That's what Jesus did. He, he, he just impressed he came in the image of the invisible God. He's God. See, we, we, we worship a trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And no one could approach the Father in these human bodies. And, and what God did was he clothed himself with flesh and dwelt among us. He impressed himself. Jesus Christ is the tangible image of God that we can touch and hold. He's the one that appeared throughout the Old Testament. He's the one that was born in Bethlehem. He was the one that died for our sins. He came into his own creation. His creation received him not and murdered him. But he had to die for our sins. And he experienced everything that you and me experience. John 4.24 says, God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus Christ is fully God. Complete. He's not missing anything. Hello. Remember when Philip goes, oh, you know, Jesus, show us the Father. And he's like, Phil, have I been with you so long? You haven't figured it out. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There is nothing missing in me that's in the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you can't separate them. He says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is where the cults go, see, up, see, right there, firstborn. He was created. No, you need to understand the original language. The word for firstborn in the Greek is prototokos. That word means all authority. See, when we hear firstborn, we think numerically. We think chronologically. That word, prototokos, means all authority. It means it means the value of importance. It means priority. It doesn't mean numerically. Do you remember when Isaac was born? Well, God saw Isaac as the firstborn. Hello? You say, well, wait a minute. Ishmael was before him. Yeah, but that was the work of, Ab- of Abraham's flesh. Right? So he, when he told... Abraham, to go offer up Isaac, he said, Abraham, take your son, your only son. He didn't even acknowledge Ishmael. Because why? Because Isaac was the one with all authority. Isaac was the one with priority. Isaac was the protocos, the value of importance in God's eyes. We saw that with Jacob and Esau. We saw it with Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was the older one, but Ephraim got the blessing. We saw that with Israel when God called Israel his firstborn. Was there other people before Israel? Yeah. Were there other people in the land of Israel? Yeah. But God sees Israel as the chosen with all importance, the importance of the value, the priority in God's eyes. That's how we need to look at that word and understand it. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We need to understand That Jesus Christ is God. He is the word. And the only thing that God puts above his name is what? His word. Hello. That's why it's so important for us to read this. He is the protocost. He is the firstborn of all creation. He was before all creation. He created all things. He is the creator. He is not a created being. There is no evolution. It's important for us to understand he is the creator of all things and by him and through him all things consist what did he create well it says here for by him all things were created that were in heaven that are on earth visible invisible whether thrones dominions principalities powers all things were created through him and for him he made everything he made the universe he made all the planets he made all the stars he made all the trees he made all the animals he made man he made all the angels there's different ranks of angels cherubins and seraphims and, and arc, an archangel. And then there's just the run-of-the-mill Barney the angel that wiped out 186,000 Assyrians in one night. And just, there's just these different levels of thrones and principalities that we don't see, the invisible. He made the invisible. He made the visible. He created it all. It was all made by Him and for Him. There's no such thing as evolution. There's no such thing as a Big Bang. Do you know how stupid that sounds when people tell you they believe in the Big Bang? I mean, come on, when was the last time you saw anything blow up and make anything, except a mess, right? We go, how do you, how do you grab on that? They go, well, in the beginning was nothing, and then nothing blew up. <laughs> you're like, what? Well, how did nothing blow up? Well, these gases started, whoa, 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 where did the gases come from? Hello? Evolution, check it out, evolution, when you hear evolution, you're thinking evolving, Right? There's no evolving in evolution. Study it. It's a hop, skip, and a jump. You went from the goo to the zoo to you in their eyes. You were pond scum, and lightning hit the pond and made a crustacean, kind of like a crab, hard on the outside, soft on the inside. But then all of a sudden, one day, you just changed to an invertebrate where now you've got a skeleton with soft tissue on the outside. That's not evolving. And then when you swam next to the shoreline of the pond, you started to jump and flip and flop. You landed out on the shoreline, and with enough flipping and flopping, you scratched yourself enough where appendages came out, and you finally crawled away. It takes more faith to believe that than in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You know where whales came from according to evolution? They were cows that were grazing close to the seashore at the ocean and one day just decided to swim off and blow up into big whales. Takes more faith to believe that junk. There's no Big Bang. In the beginning, God opened his mouth and put everything into existence. He is the creator. God is coming soon. Are you ready? Do you know Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, he's coming soon. Let me read you something from Second uh, Peter. In Second Peter, verse 9, "...the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness?" "...looking for the hastening and the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promises, look for the new heavens, a new earth... In which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot or blame and blameless, and consider the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now, I want to, you know, since we're talking about corrupted. Uh, wolves that come in and try to corrupt the Word of God. I've got to read this next section to put to rest some of the teachings that's going on today. And maybe you've heard it, is that there's people going around that say they don't acknowledge Paul's writings. And you quickly remind them that uh, you don't have the authority to remove Scripture from the Bible or to add to it. And they say, oh, well, you know, we've been looking at these other books that should have been in the Bible. Oh, no, no, no. If God is able to create the universe, I think he can create the book and make sure it gets done the one he wants us to have. So when I get these people who say they don't believe in the teachings of Paul, I say, why? And they say, oh, I just don't acknowledge his teachings. He wasn't really an apostle. Oh, that's funny, because all through his letters he says he's an apostle by the will of God. Called by God, called by Jesus, not by himself. And, they, and I say, well, who do you? Except, and they say, well, only the other apostles—you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter. So, I want to read something for the skeptic today. You acknowledge Peter the apostles. Here's what Peter the apostle says. Look at verse, um, what is it, 15, and consider the long suffering. This is in Second Peter, chapter two, chapter three. Consider the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, oh, oops, according to his wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of the things which are some things hard to understand, which untaught And unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also in the rest of the scriptures. God had everything covered. He anticipated every false religion, He anticipated every wolf that would come in and teach false doctrine, and it's in the Word of God. That's why I say this is a treasure chest open it up, dig out the jewels. Man, when somebody comes up and says, oh, you know, I don't acknowledge Paul, you take them right to Third Peter and go, whoa, look at you. So what happens? Peter says there's going to come a point where the Lord's coming, and people are like, well, you know, you guys have been saying that for years. Oh, yeah. Look at the world. Hello. Coming soon. And guess what? He's going to come and he's going to take his church. And then the world goes through the tribulation. Then there's a thousand-year millennial kingdom reign. And get, then what did he say? Well, Third Peter told us what he said after that, that he's going to blow the world. He's going to blow the universe. He's going to start over. Isn't that crazy? He's going to blow everything. He's just going to let go and blow everything. So check it out. The big bang's at the end. The big bang's not at the beginning. The big bang's at the end. And it's coming to a theater and driving near you. <laughs> He is the creator of all things. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Look at verse 17, just if that wasn't enough for you. And he is before all things. He's the preexistent one. He is before all things. How can you be a creation if you created all things, and and that you were before all things that were created? That means you're God. That means you're pre-existent. That means you were always there. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were always there. That's just wow. It's too much for me to handle. He says, and He was before all things, and in Him all things consist. Come on, nothing that you have in your life is being held together by you. It's being held together by him. You say, "Oh, he's giving me a lot of heartache right now. It's probably good for you. You probably need it. He's probably trying to show you something. I know it's not easy, but he allows certain things to help us to grow. Because when do we grow? We grow when times are tough. We don't grow when it's all good and, and everything. We tend to, like, 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 not really talk to him as much. But, boy, as soon as something bad happens, are you, like, up in your prayer life or what? Because why? Because you have access, because you're a child of God. All things are held together by him. He, they, they all consist by him. He holds the whole world in his hands. You guys know that little song? It's, it's actually biblically right. He does hold the whole world in his hands. You know, you look, at, you look at scientists and they're baffled when they look into the smallest thing. They look into molecules and they look and they see atoms. And they look into the atom and you've got three elements. You've got protons, neutrons, and electrons. And what baffles them is, is how they're all held together because they shouldn't be held together. And they can't figure it out. What, what is going on? So, like, you have an atom... In the centers, protons and neutrons, and neutrons are neutral. They don't really do anything, but protons have a positive force. They're a repelling force. They're all clustered together. They shouldn't be. Neutrons and protons make up most of the elements that are in the atom. If you took someone that's 150 pounds and you said this 150-pound person, the, the proton would be 149 pounds and 15 ounces. Only one ounce would be electrons that are orbiting around the nucleus, the proton, and the neutrons. But the majority of the atom is space. So if you had a proton the size of a basketball, the closest electron would be 3,000 miles away. So, so though, though, see this? See the chair you're sitting on? Mostly space. If you took out the space in my body from all the atoms, you wouldn't even be able to see me. I'd be smaller than a flea. If you took out all the space that's in the atoms of mass in the earth, the earth would be reduced to the size of a basketball. Are you grabbing onto this? So, so here's the thing. Protons are repelling. They, they push away. Electrons are the negative force. They're, they're, they're not positive like the protons. They're negative. And if you've ever played with magnets... Right? If you take the two positive sides, they push away, don't they? You gotta like force them to hold them. They wanna push. But if you flip over the negative side, they click right together. Right? You you put a magnet on the refrigerator, it clicks. You could throw it at the refrigerator and go. Right? So scientists can't figure out what is keeping the protons from blowing away and what's keeping the electrons from collapsing into the protons. So they came up with a really cool word. Masons. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means atomic glue or binding energy. That doesn't really tell me anything. How's it working? They don't know. You know, you can take a gram of protons, one gram, that's one one hundred and fifty-fourth of a pound. One little tiny gram of protons, put it on the North Pole. Take one little tiny gram of protons, put it on the South Pole. 8,000 miles away, you would need 50,000 pounds to hold down those protons to keep them from pushing away 8,000 miles away. So what's holding everything together? Well, excuse me. Jesus... All things are made by him and through him. All things consist by him. You know, it's interesting what we've discovered we can do if if we shoot a neutron into the center where the protons are of an atom. At 600,000 electron watts, we can actually split that atom and cause the protons and the electrons to do what they're supposed to and blow apart. Thus, in all of our wisdom as man, we've created nuclear bombs that we can blow up the world 20 times over. Oh, aren't we wise? When we read Second Peter 3, in verse 12, it says, Looking for the hastening, the quick coming of the day of the God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will mer- melt with a fervent heat. That word dissolve is the word loosened. It takes more power to hold everything together than it does to let it go. It takes more strength to hold it all together. God is holding it all together. By him, all things consist. They are all held together. But there is going to be a day when the Lord just lets it all go and the universe will explode. And the earth and the heavens and everything will be wiped out. And then you and I as believers will witness Genesis 1-1 all over again. And God will say, let there be light. And God will create new heavens and a new earth. And we'll be witnesses of that. So let me just, there's my point I want to make. Don't miss this. By him all things consist. He's holding it together. You believe that? Say amen. amen. He holds everything together. That means he can hold you together. you going through anything right now do you believe that he can hold you together should verse 18 and he is the head of the body the church he is the head that's important for us to understand because he needs to be number one in your life Not your spouse, not your children, not your job, not your hobby, not your money. And you got to really examine your heart right now. What is first? What has priority in your life? Is it Jesus? If it's not, you're going to have serious trouble. He is the head of the church. He is the head of a body. There's a lot of Christians that aren't putting Jesus as a head, and they're walking around headless. That's grotesque. There's a lot of churches like that. He's got to be the head. If he is not the head in your life or the head in your church, you're going to have serious troubles. Anybody ever been on a farm? Anybody? Farmers? You know, when you're on a farm and you want milk, you go milk the cow. You want eggs, you go to the chicken coop, right? You want meat, you, you, you know, go get a, a calf or a steer. You want chicken, you go get a chicken out in the yard that's running around. Have you ever seen a chicken with its head cut off? Anybody? Just me? Anybody? Oh, oh, a lot of you. Have you done it too? No, I'm just... Anyway. If you're on a farm, they'll take a chicken and some just wring it. And then others will put it through a cone and upside down and then just cut the head off. And then what happens is the body jumps out of the cone and starts running all around the yard, flapping its wings. I mean, it looks like it's totally alive. It's got momentum, but, you know, it looks like the lights are on, but nobody's home. And he runs around like crazy and just flying and jumping, and knows, eventually kind of wears down and collapses. There's a lot of churches running like that. They're doing church from a business perspective. They're doing church as a corporate A corporation would view it, and and it looks like it's got momentum, and it looks like it's alive, but it's dead because it doesn't have Jesus Christ as the head. And there's a lot of churches that haven't put Jesus first. Listen, Jesus has got to be first in this church. Jesus has got to be the head of this church. Not me, not a board, not a priest, not a pope, Jesus. Jesus needs to be first. First, it needs to be run by Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 18 it says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things, in all all things, that he might have the preeminence, that he might have all authority. So here we come to firstborn from the dead. Once again, prototokos. It doesn't speak numerically. It doesn't speak chronologically because when you stop and you think about it, was there other people that were raised from the dead before Jesus? Hello, Lazarus, uh, Jairus's daughter, the widow Naam's son, right? But what it, what it speaks of, firstborn, the prototokos, is that he has the all authority. He is the all authority, the most importance. He has priority when it comes. He is the firstborn of the resurrection. He is the first one to rise from the dead, the first fruits never to die again. That's good news. You remember when Jesus took uh, Peter, James, and... John up to, I was, I was going to say Paul, <laughs> no, Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and, you know, of course, what do they do whenever he does like a, a peak moment in their life? They pass out and fall asleep, right? So they fall asleep and they wake up like for the good stuff. And, and, and what happens? Jesus transfigures into his glory and there's Elijah and Moses standing right there. And, and the boys are like blown away, like, whoa! And, and they're discussing his exodus, Right? So they're coming down the mountain. They're all wired, fired up. They're like, they can't wait to get back and tell the boys that they're the inner circle and this is what God showed us and you weren't there. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, looks over at him and he says, Hey, guys, um, by the way, don't tell anybody what just happened. They always say, but what? I, what? We can't tell anybody? Don't tell anybody until I'm raised out from among the dead. And they, they, they talked amongst themselves, what is this raised out from among the dead? See, because the Jews believed there was one general resurrection. That there would come a time, the Jews and the Pharisees, they believed that. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in angel ministry. They were sad, you see, The Pharisees and the Jews believed in a resurrection. But they believed in a general resurrection that at one moment, god would raise both the just and the unjust the just would go into eternal life the unjust would go into eternal damnation when when jesus says to his boys don't say anything till i'm raised out from among the dead that would later be developed throughout the new testament that there was two resurrections there's the first resurrection and the second resurrection The first resurrection is not a one time thing. It's been going on for over 2,000 years. It, it's, not, it's not like it's just a, a one time event and everybody's a believer went up right after Jesus. No, it, the first resurrection has been going on since Jesus rose from the dead. Everybody who dies in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You're part of the first resurrection if you believe in Jesus Christ. That's been going on for 2,000 years. If Jesus came today and raptured out the church, that would continue through the tribulation. The tribulation saints are part of the first resurrection. They give their life for Jesus during that seven-year tribulation. It continues on through the 1,000-year millennial kingdom reign when Jesus sets up his kingdom and shows how it should have been done. And people will have to give their life because they have free will still then. And that's part of the first resurrection. At the end of the millennial kingdom reign, as we read in Peter, Jesus Christ is going to let go of everything and blow it and it's going to explode. And there's going to be a judgment called the great white throne judgment. That's part of the second resurrection. You don't want to be part of that. Because those that turned their back on God and said they're going to do it their way and rejected the gift that he put in front of them, they will be part of the second resurrection. The great white throne will give up the dead in the sea and on the earth and in hell and they will stand before the true and living God. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they'll be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. And you say, well, that's not really fair, is it? Why would God do that? He didn't. You did it to yourself. Jesus Christ puts a gift directly in front of you, and you didn't open it. And maybe you're here today, and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ. Why are you messing around with your eternity? He did not create hell for you, it's for Satan and the fallen angels but all those that reject him and say listen I'm going to do it my way I'm not going to I'm not going to be accountable to anybody you you send yourself to hell there's only one way and Jesus is the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through him he is setting before you right now a gift and he says open it i love you i died for you open it up it's salvation so if you're here today and you haven't made that commitment fully I want you to be part of the first resurrection you have to you need to it's the only way so let's bow our heads and let's pray Father thank you for making it so clear who you are what you did and what's our reasonable response? I pray right now for anyone out here that hasn't made the complete commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You you you've been to church, you've heard the gospel, you've been stirred in your heart, but you need to make that thing for sure. If that's you, pray right now, Lord. I believe you're everything your Word says. I believe you God, the creator of all things. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I beg you, save me now. Make me a child of God, part of the kingdom of heaven. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that, you're a child of God, Now go live for him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you guys.